Hello again, Natalie. We're back at Corndog HQ. For episode eight of the Corndog Hour. This is an interview you did. It is an interview that I did with Cole Quest Rotante, founding member of the City Pickers. He plays a lot of shows here. He attends a lot of shows here. He's a very wonderful member of our community. And I loved getting to talk to him. He had so many amazing stories, and he's great. Yeah, he was a real pleasure. And uh, then we're going to listen to some uh, Jalopy Records songs, mm-hmm. and we got Wyndham bringing up the rear, as usual. This one's kind of special, isn't it? It's a little that different. It is. It is. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. Okay? Here we go. Here we go. It's the Jalopy Corndog Hour with your hosts, Natalie Jordan and Jeff Wood. Recorded right here at the fabulous Jalopy Theater and School of Music in Red Hook, Brooklyn. So, without further ado, here we go! Jesus, Jesus gonna make up the dying bed. 
was that Natalie? We just heard Jackson Lynch who was our very first guest on our very first episode do a tune that Cole picked out for this episode called In My Time of Dying. That was excellent. What a pleasure. And now we're uh let's head into the interview. You ready? I'm ready. Okay I'm ready too. Hello I am sitting here with Jeff in Jeff's kitchen. Yay. Yay. With a very special guest, we have Cole Quest Rotante sitting at this table with us. Hi, Cole. Hi. Hello. He's here. Um, we're going to talk about some things. Let's talk. I'm down. Why don't we start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, it's a long story. There's <laughs> technically 36 years worth of storytelling to happen. Um, anything specific that we want to, any <laughs> parameters to the situation we want to hone in on? Well, you know, no parameters, but what were you going to say, Jeff? I was going to say where you came from, where you were born. Yeah, sure. You know, what's your roots? Sure. So um, I was actually born in Manhattan um, at St. Vincent's Hospital right outside of Washington Square. And um, my family lived in Howard Beach until I was about four and a half. So I kind of baby grew up in in Howard Beach, Queens. Um, And then as I was kind of getting into uh, the school systems, my mother opted to bring us north to Westchester. And so we moved out of my grandmother's house that we were living in at the time, um... It was my grandmother's house that she passed on to my mother. My mother sold that house and then bought a house in Westchester. And I kind of spent my childhood growing up in Westchester in Mount Kisco, Chappaqua, Westchester, New York. Um, did that until like end of high school, pretty much. Um, and then uh, did a year in New York City doing uh, architecture uh, studying architecture at the New York Institute of Technology my freshman year of college, skateboarding around the city, you know, uh, trying to get beer under 21, um, and studying architecture. And, uh, and then I ended up, um, uh, changing courses a bit and, uh, moving back home, uh, for, uh, about eight months, I think it was. Um, and I dropped out of that school and went to a community college for about six months and worked a whole bunch of jobs. I had a, I had a debt to pay off. So I spent, spent about eight months paying off that debt and then resituated, went to university of Hartford for college studying computer science. I actually applied for music, didn't get in. (laughs) How dare they? (laughs) It was really, it was really, it was a good exercise for me, honestly. It was a real, like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was really stoked about music. I've been playing music my whole life at that point. I applied to the Heart School of Music, which is like this wonderful, prestigious school for music and and musicians and music producers, and I wanted to be a music producer, and I applied, and then 
they looked at my my resume and they were like, we see that you don't have any experience reading sheet music. Is that true? Did you, have you ever played in like formal orchestras or jazz bands? And I was like, no. And they're like, well, you're not going to cut it. You're not going to make it here. So I was pretty devastated. I got a phone call at like 7 a.m. from a guidance counselor and she told me that. And I was like, Ugh, what do I do? And she's like, well, you have a computer science uh, transfer credit from an old college. Are you interested in that? And I was like, yeah, I am. And I had been building computers my whole life at that point. So I just was like, I guess I could learn about computers for three years. And I did. And now I've been working in the field as a computer, uh, a software engineer for, I don't know, 15 plus years at this point. And that's, that's the big picture. That's the general big picture. Yeah. Wow. And when yeah. did you start playing dobro? Um, I think I started playing dobro maybe about 12 years ago. Um, I had lost my first job. I got, I was part of a layoff. Uh, I was working as a software engineer at a company in New Jersey. I got my first layoff and then I immediately picked up a second job and was working for them in Midtown. And I had been living at home at the time and I moved into uh, Astoria, Queens. Uh, I got my first apartment and in within like weeks of moving into that apartment, I was just exploring the neighborhood and there was a, the most Irish pub I've ever been in at that time, which is still, I think the most Irish pub I've ever been in. Um, and, uh, I stumbled in it on a Sunday night and there just happened to be a bunch of folks playing bluegrass music in the back corner. And, uh, I got kind of like in a little bit of like an argument with one of the guys they were playing, like, I'm pretty sure they played, um, going down the road, feeling bad. And I knew that as a Woody Guthrie song. And so I yelled out to play like another Woody song. And then the guy screamed over them like, we're not, this ain't no fucking jukebox. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I don't know what I'm doing here in the city, clearly. Um, oh this is not the environment I'm, I'm more unfamiliar with. And then he came over afterwards and he was like, um, you know, everything's cool. This is an open jam session. If you want to come and join, you're more than welcome. Happy to have you. And I had coincidentally bought a mandolin uh, two weeks earlier, totally by chance. I had no idea what I was doing. And um, so I was like, oh, cool. And I turned around. I grabbed my mandolin. I lived across the street. I went back and I spent the next like three years learning how to play mandolin, learning bluegrass music. I really didn't know anything about bluegrass music at that time. And um, during those three years, I kind of had started... Um, I've been playing guitar at this point my whole life since I was like eight or nine years old. And um, I was experimenting with different kinds of music and learning, listening to bluegrass music and country music and Irish music and, and kind of just exploring some of the, the more traditional musics, folk musics. And, um, and I was experimenting with a slide guitar. I always really wanted to play slide guitar and I was trying to play it. And it just always sounded really bad. I just sucked so much. My intonation was garbage. Every time it was always flat or sharp and I couldn't for the life of me get it. And so I just ended up putting it on my lap to try to just see like, how can I just find where the sweet spots are and just like measure that way. And I ended up being, I was like really enjoying playing it on my lap. Um, and so I just ended up starting to change the tunings to just make it so I could just sound better. I was like, what if I just tune it to open chords? So I started doing that. So I was kind of, um, exploring in my own way. 
And then coincidentally, I went to the jam one Sunday after that, and um, a guy showed up with a Dobro, and I was like, yo, what what are you doing? What is that thing? (laughs) I've been doing the same thing at home, but yours is like meant for it. And like I went and I talked to him, and he's kind of been a mentor for me from a Dobro standpoint. Um, His name is Jesse Friedberg, and he's a great Dobro player, and I kind of have just... Uh, I talked to him for a while and uh, I was really, really interested and he told me everything about it. And then uh, in combination, Jesse and the guy who ran the jam, uh, Dave McKeown, Dave was like, well, I got an old guitar that has like a Dobro neck on it and it's like a piece of garbage, but you can borrow it for three months if you'd like. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. I borrowed it for three months. Uh, Or he was like, you can borrow it for as long as you want. And I was, after three months, I just bought my own, and it's the same Dobro I have now, and I've been playing ever since. And that's pretty much, yeah, that's how I got into it. But you've been playing guitar since you were a kid. Yeah, yeah. Um, Growing up, my father used to play guitar for me to go to sleep every night of my life. Um, And he did it for my sister. I have a sister who's eight years older, and he used to do it for her. And then she outgrew it, but I was next in the queue, and so he would just sit at my bed and play Dylan songs, play Woody songs, play Tom Petty songs, play a lot of blues songs. He was really into the blues. And um, and so he would play a lot of blues stuff too. And I think that's kind of where some of the slide stuff started getting into my brain uh, early on. He wasn't playing slide, but he was just so um, into the blues and we were listening to it and he was playing it on guitar and it was just kind of all around. And then when I was like eight or nine, he bought me an electric guitar for Christmas one year, I still have it. It's a Washburn sitting in the closet of my father's <laughs> house. And um, yeah, I was just really into learning electric guitar for years. I played in a bunch of rock and roll bands, you know, from age, from like third grade onwards. And um, yeah, and then eventually I kind of migrated to the mandolin. And when did you start up with the City Pickers? Um, the city pickers started probably, I would say the formality of, I think of it was 2016. I think it's 2016. I could be off. It could be 2014, but I'm pretty sure it's 2016 in December. And the way that that happened was there was, um, I had been playing at that bar at that Irish pub It's called the keys in Astoria. And I had met Christian Apuzo mm-hmm. and a couple of other friends, Ethan Joseph and Mateus Veradino and a few other people. And we had ended up going to a, a, a Gray Fox Bluegrass Festival together. We were kind of like all these like bluegrass newbies and we were like really stoked on it, and really excited. And we heard about the festival and we all went and we ended up like finding um, some friends there and Margaret Mugg and Sam Merwin and... Um, we all, and Banjo Mike, Mike Mulholland, um, and John, oh man, um, so many great friends. Anyways, we all kind of like culminated with a group of friends that we found at the, at the festival and had kind of been seeing in the city. And, um, we formed a band called the Idiot Brigade. Um, we, I don't, I don't know how, I honestly, we were like, you know, it was late one night picking at the festival and like. People were crowding around, I guess, and like listening to a few of us play and uh, and we were like, yeah, we should start a band. And then someone was like, yeah, 
we should we should we should we should have a band. What should it be called? And then one of the, I think it was Sam was just like, or someone was like the Idiot Brigade, and we're all like, okay. And then Sam just goes online. He goes, the website domain's available, and then he just bought the website domain. And then we were like, <laughs> I guess we're a band now, and so. We were a bar band for a few years, and um, at some point after playing, you know, one of the gigs, uh, a friend of my mother's, Steve Rosenthal, who ran um, the Magic Shop uh, studio uh, and also the living room, the music venue, um, for many, many years, uh, he came to one of our bar gigs. My mother had come into town. They were celebrating, I think it was... My mother, my stepfather's um, wedding anniversary, and they were like, Cole's playing at a bar. Why don't we just go into the bar? We have a bunch of friends that live in the city. We'll all go meet and uh, and hang out and just have them, and we'll listen to them play. And Steve showed up, and he was like totally into us, and he was like, you guys got to come into the studio. Do whatever it takes. And I was like, okay, cool. And I had been writing a few originals at the time, and so I contacted Steve and we set up some time and uh, I showed him some of my originals and he was like, cool. Yeah, let me know who, you know, who you want. I think we should just get a bunch of people in a room and set down some microphones. And that's effectively what we did. I gathered some of my friends and piled into a room and recorded for like five days and recorded like 12 tracks. And then that ended up being... Uh, it was using the Idiot Brigade as a band, but it also had additional people that I had brought into the project. And because we were also playing different material, we were playing my originals. We we're also playing um, some new material that we had never played. We did this song called Uncle Jeff because Steve was like, you got to do a song by Uncle Arlo. And so Uncle Jeff seemed fitting. And we did a Dylan song and we did a couple of... So this was a kind of a new... Um, a new, what felt like a new iteration of the situation. Um, and uh, also uh, the studio cost money and I paid for all of it. So <laughs> I kind of felt like it was, it was a little bit more my project than the, than the other project was. Um, so yeah, I kind of invited everybody in and we had a great time recording. And then that was the City Pickers for a few years. We've had a few iterations. People, you know, all changed in their life and what they what they want and what they were hoping to get out of different things. And so we've had a few iterations, really only like one or two, but we've had a few different cast of city pickers, but it's been kind of an ongoing project. We also have a bunch of original members still too. So it's a little bit of everything. So you and Christian met at the Keys. Yeah. That- yeah. I like, I don't really remember exactly, but like for all intents and purposes, we showed up at the same time, the same night. Like, I don't know if that's actually what happened, but that's kind of how it feels. Like, it was within a week or two or three of showing up at the same time. And actually, we were... I remember the first thing, the first interaction we had was a guy at the bar, one of the local guys was like, Cole, man, you got to meet my buddy. And Christian was sitting at the stool and he's like, you got to meet my buddy. He's, he's, he's really, he's a, he's a cool dude. He's just showed up here. He's really excited and he has a guitar and he likes to sing. And I was like, that's cool. And I just looked at him and I, Christian, I think the first things he said was, he goes, nice shirt. And I was wearing an old Crow Medicine Show shirt. Uh, And I was like, oh, cool. You like them? And he's like, yeah, I like them. And then that was like the first steps of our friendship. Yeah. I just assumed that you two had been friends forever, so thinking about meeting somewhere is a bit mind-blowing. Yeah. And for those who may not know, Christian Apuzo is one of our teachers here at Jalopy. Um, so we see him every day. I think he's downstairs right now teaching a bluegrass jam. Yeah. 
Yeah, I hope I'll go go say hi to him after this, actually. Yeah, so he's been a long-standing member of Cold Quest and the City Pickers. Yep, since day one. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's honestly, he's just one of my closest friends that I have in my life, and he has been there with me as I'm, like, learning how to do all of these new things, and he has a little, he has more formal background in music, and, like, he went to school, he went to SUNY Potsdam, and he studied, and he knows a lot, you know, he has a more formal training, um, so it's, uh, it's been really nice to that our, like, friendship has been growing as, uh, as we're both learning how to play music in different ways and working with each other, so, yeah, we've been very close for years now, yeah. Oh, and you two are going on a big trip pretty soon. Big trip coming up, yeah. All um, the way to Germany? All the way to Germany, yeah. Um, we're excited. Um, I think we're leaving on like June 22nd oh and coming gosh. back on like July 11th ish, depending on flights. So we're very excited about it. It's going to be one of the bigger trips for us. So. Wow. And you two also play as a duo, right? Christian and Cole. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've been playing together for so long and in so many different arrangements. I mean, we played in the Idiot Brigade. Christian plays in the City Pickers. Um, we, we've also played, um, um, we used to do just like bar duo gigs as Christian and Cole. We also used to do bar duo gigs and we needed a little bit of like a persona or an act name. So we used to be called Tony and Jerry, (laughs) which was supposed (laughs) T-O-N-I and J-E-R-I and he's Tony and I'm Jerry and it's supposed to be like Tony Rice and Jerry Douglas because I play dobro and he plays guitar. So that was kind of our thing. And we like, one of our friends did a photo shoot with us once and we like I wore like all black with a black cowboy hat and he wore all white with a white cowboy hat and we took all these like funny photos and um so we used to do bar gigs as Tony and Jerry um we've had a lot of different iterations of playing with other people bringing people in you know you know pretty normal music community kind of stuff but yeah yeah so I've been playing with Christian a lot in different variations we also play uh in the locksmiths uh which is another band um uh, I am based out of Queens right now, I believe. I think I think Robert and Chrissy are based out of Queens. But yeah, the locksmiths too. So we've been in more more projects than I can even remember at this point together. And do you remember the first time that you played at Jalopy? The first time I played, I do. I know exactly. Actually, this is funny. I just very coincidentally, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, found a recording of the first time I played at Jalopy. I had heard about it. And it was the City Pickers, and it was Roots and Ruckus with Farrell, and we and Doug Goldstein, who was the City Pickers banjo at the time, was like, you guys, we got to do Roots and Ruckus. It's super cool. It's awesome. All the cool cats are there, and there, and you got, we got to figure out how to get connected. And I don't even remember how we got connected, but they were doing uh, John Hart for Tribute Night. And so we somehow got on the bill for that. And uh, we had to, you know, choose two Hartford tunes to do. And um, surprisingly, all of the not the biggest one, the steam powered airplane was available. And I, I don't know why. Maybe it was too obvious or too on the nose. Nobody wanted to take it. So we took it. And then all the other t- songs that I was really, really familiar with was, was not taken. We were all taken. So I had to find this obscure one that I ended up falling in love with called Blame It On Joanne, which is such a goofy song. And um, anyways, I just found the recording, the original recording from the board 
that someone gave to me. I just found it like two weeks ago. Oh my god, you should send it to us, and maybe if we're allowed to, we can include. Oh it. yeah, okay. you should try to put it yeah. at least a snippet of it. It's it's it was it was great. It was super fun. Um, wow. So that was the first time that we played jalopy. How though. long ago I, was that? Do you know? That's probably close to like six years ago, eight years wow. ago, something like that. Did you already know about jalopy at that point before playing there? I had heard of jalopy. It was kind of more of a aspirational place of like it was it was like all the cool kids were there and i i was too new i kind of hadn't really uh i had a little maybe a little bit of imposter syndrome where i i kind of hadn't made my way over yet and was looking for the right opportunity to kind of sink my teeth in and that night was like such a party and such an awesome time that it, honestly it felt like the right moment to just kind of fall into it and and see jalopy for you know, this, this kind of event and whatever it was, it was just great. It was perfect. Yeah. And yeah. you've been part of the family ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Growing in, and growing in that, which has been really exciting. I feel like with every passing day, month, year, uh, it's just been more and more involvement with Jalopy, which makes me feel good because I've kind of always had such a high, a high, uh, expectation high bar of what i think it is and so to feel like i'm feeling comfortable joining this space um for me is really nice yeah no so now we were sitting together in the village at a place called organic grill oh yeah and we were talking about a podcast that you listened to about was it about your aunt was it your remind me i'm trying to remember which podcast was it i have a really bad memory so I'm As many details, remember. I can't believe you even remember. I it's a faint memory. I remember sitting at up. Organic Grill. Yep, we sat at Organic Grill, we ate mm-hmm. some food together. Yeah, you and Wyndham were playing there. Right. What did we? What podcast was this? I don't remember, but you had glowing reviews about it, and then I saved it, but I didn't end up listening oh. to it. What was it? And we can cut this out if we don't get to find out sure. what it is. But it was someone was talking about. A woman in your family and like amazing work that she did. Oh yeah. What was this? This was a podcast. I think it's called About a Girl. That's right. Yes. And I, I don't even know how I came about it. Someone must have sent it to me. I had never heard the podcast before, and I, th- or maybe it honestly could have been advertised to me as this one episode, and it was about my grandmother. And so right. I was like, what? And I it listened. It was advertised to you like an ad? It, it was either that it was like an ad or it was like, it might've been like um, an advertisement in another podcast mm-hmm. that I was listening to or something. I'm not sure how I got targeted or if someone sent it to me. I really don't remember, but yeah, it ended up being this someone, it's a, it is a great podcast and they, they did like an hour program, an hour plus program on my grandmother, which was, which was fascinating that. That someone, that, yeah, was starting to dig into it. I thought that was really cool. Wow. Did you learn anything new? Um, yeah, probably. Um, I, like I said, have a very bad memory. <laughs> so the definitions of any one particular thing is a little rocky for me. But I, uh, I mean, even anytime I talk to my sister, who is currently, as far as I know, the resident expert on my grandmother... Um, she, she has a few projects going on that, that relate to her. Um, but she's also kind of the leading the, leading the, the research and, um, 
understanding of Marjorie Guthrie and, uh, and, uh, collecting her materials. And, um, we have a, there's a website that kind of has a lo- bunch of information about it. And I think she calls it the Marjorie Guthrie project. And, um, yeah, so it's all about yeah. kind of discovering that and piecing together the pieces, um, you know, retro, retroactively. Is this something that's live on the internet now? Wow. Yep. So people should go check that out. I yeah. want to check that out. MarjorieGuthrie.com, I believe. Um, I think that's the URL. Um, yeah. And it has a bunch of information, um, about, you know, what she did with, uh, she did a lot of different things in a lot of different places in time connecting with different people. So it's kind of hard to summarize, but she was, she started, um, what is now known as HDSA, the Huntington's Disease Society Mm -hmm. of America. She, um, collected all of Woody's materials to then that were then later turned into the Woody Guthrie archives. Um, which preserves all of his original materials, um, including like This Land is Your Land, the the original lyric, um, stuff like that. Um, She was also a modern dancer for the Martha Graham Dance Company. So there was, she did a lot. And I'm not even touching on a bunch of other organizations that she started. Um, uh, I'm really not even the resident expert. Like we could do a whole episode talking to Anna about Marjorie. We should do that. You could totally do it. I'm saying it right now on the record. We should do that. She she would totally do it. She would love to do it. Um, Yeah. She's, she's the, really the expert on, on all of this stuff. Um, And it's great. There's Marjorie has quite a story. There's definitely, there's a lot to it. Um, I kind of only know the cusp of it. Wow, I love that though. I and I love that there's so much more to learn, and that people are uncovering and yeah, sort of preserving her story. Yeah, there's a lot. There, there's a lot, and I mean, I'm I've I was just talking to her earlier, um, and she was filling me in on on some some more details about her. Kind of like every time I talk to her, there's yeah. always something new and you know sometimes they're big things but sometimes they're small things it's everything in between but she's piecing it all together she's piecing it all together kind of making a big map of the whole situation yeah i love you know i have a bit of a history in archiving and i love when people can sort of like get you know get their hands dirty and just like go find the story because if we don't do that the story's gone yeah totally people who knew it are gonna forget yeah totally and there's there's a there's so many details and the details can really be you know really informative. I know my mother did a lot of this with Woody's material about and she did she made this project um, called um, My New York City and uh, and it's like a walking tour book and the book basically takes you on a journey of where he was throughout his existence in New York City and it's um, there's a lot of little details that were kind of required to be like. Oh, from he getting from here to getting from here, this was the little detail that we were missing. Oh, he stayed on uh, Stetson Kennedy's couch, like whatever it was. Um, so yeah, there's all sorts of like little details that that really can be super helpful in the big picture, uh, even if they kind of only seem little at the moment that you discover them. What's the book called? I have to check um, it out. It's called My New York City, I believe. I'm... Really not good with names and it's dates. Okay. You know, um, you're good with that's names. not that's not my thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's called My New York City. Um, or no, my name is New York. Sorry, my name is New York. My name is New York, which I really should know because it's a song on my album. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you know, again, names and dates aren't really my thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, Dobro's your thing. Dobro's a little and, bit more my thing. And coding and being a very pleasant person. I appreciate <laughs> that. Thank you. Yes. My memory gets used up for lots of different things. Unfortunately, <laughs> names and dates are not part of that. Um, but, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about maybe what it was like to grow up in a musical family? Sure, yeah. Um, the, it was interesting because, like I explained before, um, playing music for me came a lot from my father. My father was really into... into He's still, every time I go home, we just end up sitting in the living room, listening to records, talking about things, talking about his, most, his new favorite band. Um, and he kind of really... Uh, did some he showed me something that I still don't really see very often with people, which is he likes to really put words, put vernacular to things happening in music, talking about concepts, talking about what motivation, talking about all of these different kinds of like details that I even as a musician working with musicians, I still struggle to communicate with them. When I say things like that, they don't really know what I'm talking about. And so there's really different vernaculars for all these different things. And I think his is fairly unique. Um, but yeah, so I learned a lot about music from him talking about it. Well, when Stevie Ray does this in his, I was like, why the solo? He plays the same thing three times. Why is he doing that? He goes, he's showing you that he can do it three times. And like, I've never heard someone say that. Like, and I kind of needed, I needed it to be drawn out that way. And if, whether it's true or not is also a different even story. But like, it was that kind of stuff um, that, that, I, that really helped me understand music. I am a fairly particular learner. Um, and so... Uh, it was really helpful for me to learn music that way, um, just growing up with him. So I grew up a lot. A lot of it was that. And then a lot of it was my mother's side of the family, too. Mom um, worked has worked in the music industry and surrounding for um, as long as I can remember, um, doing different work um, with Woody Guthrie Publications and the Woody Guthrie Archives and working with artists um, more than I even remember, know to count. Um, and so there is a lot, a lot to that. And then, of course, my Uncle Arlo and all of my cousins are also all musicians and all of their kids are musicians. So there's a whole tree of them. Also, my Uncle Jody and his son out in California. The, Uncle Jody has a record that he put out when he was in his 20s. Mom put out a record when she was 18. So everyone's kind of touched it and they all have music in, as, a, as a capacity, to be honest. I didn't even really know about my Uncle Jody's music until recent, last five, ten years. Um, Mom's music was kind of also lost for many years, and then my stepfather kind of found it, and they did some remastering work so that you could really hear it really well, and they, we have some, some nice um, family recordings, basically, um, for the moment. Uh, although I believe Emily's illness, her record... Is like on eBay. People can find old vinyls of it on on eBay. I think that's so funny. Yeah. Just on eBay. Yeah, I think there's just like probably a couple of hundred prints, maybe, and all out of those, which ones have survived the years? I don't know, but so there's there's a couple floating around out there. Um, I know that we have a copy at the house, though. Um, so it, it's been uh, obviously surrounding me all the time. I'd say my father was the more direct conversations about it, talking about it directly, putting it really in conversation. Um, and then the family kind of just had a familial way of working that was always surrounded and encompassed by music. So, yeah. 
And mom played and sang growing up too. She had a piano. We always had a piano in the house and she would sit down and play and sing. Um, so yeah, it's kind of always there. Now, I'm very curious to know how you ended up playing with the Dropkick Murphys. Oh, sure. So <laughs> Is that's there a story here. There's, I mean, he has a little, yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit of a story. It's actually kind of a culmination of the whole thing we were just talking about, which is um, when mom started the archives um, and has all, uh, Woody Guthrie Publications um, had all the rights to all of the material. So if anybody wanted to record um, unwritten published lyrics, unpublished lyrics, they would kind of have to go talk to Nora and she would kind of set them up. And she's done that with Billy Bragg and Wilco, um, and a million other artists, Jim James, um, tons, uh, and Dropkick, I guess, I don't know who approached who, but somehow Dropkick and Nora had gotten in touch. And I remember her kind of coming to me and asking, she was like, have you ever heard of this group Dropkicks or something like that? And I was like, I think I was in seventh grade. And I was like, mom, are you talking about the Dropkick Murphys? And she was like, yeah, yeah, that's their name. And I was like, I literally have their posters on my wall. And, <laughs> and it was really funny because I actually went home like for Christmas in December and I peered back into my closet and I have these old stickers, Dropkick Murphy's stickers on the backside of my closet next to like no fear stickers and like Amazing. all of the stickers I collected as like a sixth, seventh and eighth grader. And so I was a big fan of them when I was young. I was listening to like No Effects and Pennywise and all these other bands, you know, punk music kind of stuff. Uh, and um, so I was a big fan um, for years and they ended up doing a song. They did a song called Blackout. Uh, now they made a record. It was the title it was the title track for the record. Um, and that was a Woody lyric that they put music to. And I think that was really the t- first touch point um, with Dropkick. And then they ended up coming back for more. And that's when I guess Nora gave them the lyric for shipping up to Boston, which ended up becoming their biggest song of all time. Um, And they, it's, it's funny. There's Nora really tells the story much better than I can, but it's like, it's not really a particularly advanced uh, lyric. It's not really highbrow. It's just kind of like a silly little couple of sentences and they just took it and it, it meant it meant something to them and they just wrote such a great hook and they put such wonderful music to it that was just like totally the energy and uh, the vibe of Woody um, and everyone fell in love with it. All the, they did, Nora did, the audience, everyone's fallen in love and then it's got, it's got quite a bit of usage. It was in The Departed, the film, and it ended up being the, uh, the like theme song for the year that the Boston Red Sox won the World Series. And so it's kind of become like Boston's anthem. And um, so it's kind of blown out of proportion. Nobody has any idea that shipping up to Boston is really a Woody lyric, which is this whole funny backstory. No kidding. Yeah. So uh, that was kind of the first couple of steps. And then um, recently, I think they kind of were like, coming back for more again but this time it wasn't just an individual lyric they got their hands on a on a whole slew of lyrics and um as part of the recording process they decided to do like an acoustic record with it um to kind of just make some uh, differences i guess in their sound change change it up a little bit and uh they emailed me on a saturday and said 
Cole, your mother told us that you play Dobro when we were recording an album of all these Woody lyrics. Do you want to come play on it? And I was like, uh, hell friggin' yeah, dude. <laughs> Dropkick Murphys? Yeah. <laughs> so I was super stoked. I dropped everything I was doing. I... I, I shipped up to Boston on Monday. I canceled work for two days and I jumped on a train and jumped up to, to the studio and I spent like eight hours in the studio with the guys and they were just the coolest, sweetest dudes. I had seen them a bunch of times and met them once or twice before that too, but this was really getting to spend some time with them. And uh, yeah, I played Dobro on a bunch of tracks and then they ended up coming out with a record that uses a few of those tracks this past September and they're about to release another record in the next month or two um, that's going to have the other remaining tracks on it. Um, so I was on the record, which was great, and it's super huge honor and super stoked. I mean, as a kid, I can't think of like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rock on! <laughs> this is really great. So, um, yeah, so this past weekend, so uh, they did a tour uh, last year where they were touring that album. And they kind of gave, they extended an open invitation. They're like, anytime you want to come play, come join. So then they played, they played at Brooklyn at the King's Theater. So I was like, I'll be there. And then they were like, we're playing in Nashville too. I saw it on their tour website and I was like, oh my God, if I come to Nashville, can I play the show at, uh, not the, the Ryman Ryman Auditorium. Thank you. Wow. Did it. Names and places, it's not my thing. <laughs> um, yes, the Ryman Auditorium. They were playing at the Ryman Auditorium, and I was like, what a legendary stage. All of the bluegrass greats and country greats have played there. Like, if you're saying I have an open invitation to walk on that stage and play with Dropkick, like, I will be there. So me and my sister went down. It was great. We played. It was a wonderful time. And then they were just recently playing on St. Patty's Day this past Friday, and uh, they were playing some of the, the songs and I talked with them and they were like, come on up, dude, we're waiting for you. And I was like, hell yeah. So, yeah, we went up and and uh, Nora had never seen any of the live show. She had heard they were recording the CD, but had never seen it performed live. So she came up. So we they, we all shipped up to Boston uh, last week on Friday and um, and yeah, and played the show this weekend. And it was unreal it was it was so much fun um and it was at fenway park and you know saint patty's day at fenway park with the boston most boston irish band that i can think of as like yeah it was kind of a it was it was it was above my capacity of understanding let's just put it that way but it was a great time yeah well cole do you want to talk a little bit about some upcoming projects or things you're looking forward to and yeah, sure. So we are, uh, we haven't officially announced yet, but hopefully soon, date TBD, but we are going uh, on a Germany tour, uh, which is really exciting for us. Um, so we'll be releasing a bunch of stuff around that. Um, a bunch of music. Uh, just, uh, we are, we will have new music for that tour. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, we'll have, we have, my goal is to have 45 minutes of brand new music, if not more. Uh, for the band to be playing, um, we um, uh, in past years we've we've been mostly in the last couple of years we've been a five piece with banjo, harmonica, dobro, guitar, and stand up double bass, um, and we will be that. But also um, we've been working on our dancing and our flat footing, so <gasps> we will be incorporating some more dancing into our uh, upcoming performances. Yes, amazing. Mateus Herodino is 
a not only a phenomenal harmonica player, the best I've ever heard, but he is an amazing flat footer and he travels and dances with the city stompers, the flat footing group. And so, uh, I've been taking some lessons with him and we're just working on um, some things kind of behind the curtains a little bit. And, but we're hoping to include some, some new parts to our sound. And so we'll have some different, different stuff there, which is very exciting. Um, wow, I got a little preview of that when you all were here doing oh, a photo yeah. shoot in the theater. Yeah. I can't wait to see those photos. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are the photos that we'll be using for, for our 2023 um, mm-hmm. tour. Um, and, uh, yeah, we got some dancing coming on. That'll be really exciting. Um, we have some new originals that we're working on, which is very exciting. Some new old covers that we're working on, some new, new covers that we're working on. So yeah, very exciting. All, all sorts of exciting stuff coming up. Um, we have a couple of shows coming up in late August, some festivals where we're going to be playing like the Podunk Bluegrass Festival, um, and a couple other festivals up there, um, website for details, social media mm-hmm. for details. Um, but yeah, so we're pretty excited about all of that. Um, we kind of haven't really announced much, much of our 2023, um, touring schedule yet, but soon to come. Wow. And where can people find you and keep up with you? Yeah, we have a website, colequest.com. Um, and we have Instagram slash city pick, uh, at city pickers, um, I think uh, our Facebook is also slash City Pickers, and Twitter is just a copy of all the other ones, but that's Cold Quest CP. Um, but we have our website is really the main main touch point or Instagram, and um, we have a mailing list. So for people who are not social media people, a majority of our fans, frankly, um, <laughs> are not social media people. Uh, so we send out email blasts when we have shows coming up to just give people a heads up and what to expect. And we also share out any video links that we've made in the, you know, around surrounding that or any new material that we're releasing, um, generally comes out through the emails and also social media. So amazing. Yeah. Well, the sun is setting in Red Hook. Yeah. First full day of spring. First First full day of spring. And what better way to spend it than with Cole Quest Rotante, our podcast table. Oh, it's great. Thanks so much for having me. I can't believe it's the first day of spring. This winter has felt very long. Very long. Very mild. And it's like so mild. Very, it felt like it never happened. I've been exactly. waiting for winter to come. And like, so it's crazy to think that we've already turned the corner. If it starts getting mm-hmm. cold now, though, I don't know <laughs> if I can take it. And I'm really, you never know what's going to happen anymore. So It's true. No, we can't turn a corner and see snow. Yeah. Oh, my God. What would I do? Put on my snow boots, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, we carry on. Yeah. Thank you so much, Cole. Thanks for having me. It was great to be here. Excellent interview. Thank you. I enjoyed that so much. I love talking to Cole. I always love seeing Cole, and I hope you all enjoyed that. He's He's really just a sweetheart. A sweetheart, and he's done so much, and he's got so much planned. He and the City Pickers, they mentioned this in the interview, but, I mean, going to Germany, it's amazing. Uh, what's, what's, we have a, a jalopy record up next. We do. This is another one that Cole picked out himself by Nora Brown. It's called French Waltz off of a record called Long Time to Be Gone. We are sold out of the vinyl, um, and it's available to listen to digitally, but there's been an overwhelming amount of requests for a second pressing. So stay tuned for more information on that. 
Excellent. Here we go, Nora Brown. Here it is. just heard from one of our favorites, Nora Brown, doing French Waltz. Certainly one of our favorites. She's been here since she was like seven years old. That's wild. And she just got back from an incredible tour, a Jalopy Records tour in Japan. They were all over. um, And the photos from that trip are incredible. Don Fierro, our audio engineer for Jalopy Records, took some incredible shots. And those are available on the Jalopy Records social media. I can't wait to see them. Yeah, they're beautiful. Um, Nora tells a story about how she was waiting for a train on a train platform and a complete stranger came up to her and recognized her and bowed to her and thanked her for her music. And it, it makes me so happy to think that, you know, we're all here doing our thing in Brooklyn, but people, you know, all the way over in Japan are listening to Jalopy Records. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well, next up and finishing off the show is uh, Wyndham Baird singing another, uh, uh, what was the song called again? This one is Philadelphia called Philadelphia Lawyer. Philadelphia Lawyer. But he's singing it along with Cole Quest, Rotante. So please enjoy and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you all for listening. Philadelphia lawyer making love to Hollywood May. Come love and we'll go rambling down where the lights are so bright. I'll win you a divorce.
divorce from your husband And we can get married tonight While Bill was a gun-toting cowhand Tenacious was carved on his gun And all the boys around Reno Left Bill's Hollywood sweetheart One night when Bill was returning Riding the range in the cold He thought of his Hollywood sweetheart Her love was lasting as gold As he drew near to her window Two shadows he saw on her shade Was a great Philadelphia lawyer Making love to Bill's Hollywood maid Still as a desert And the moon hanging high overhead Bill listened a while at the window He could hear every word that they said Your hands are so pretty and lovely Your form is so rare and divine Come go back with me to Philadelphia And leave this wild cowboy behind Tonight back in old Pennsylvania Amongst her beautiful pines There's one less Philadelphia lawyer In old Philadelphia tonight Well folks, that's the end of the Jalopy Corndog Hour with Natalie Jordan and Jeff Wood. Can't thank you enough for listening. So from all of us at the Jalopy Theater and School of Music, if you're not out there loving each other, you best get to it. So long.